We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome in. Trevor Lane here for the LakersNation.com podcast. Today, we've got a lot to talk about. I've got a great interview with Jovan Buha of The Athletic. He and I talked about a lot of things. That's going to be coming up in just a bit. We, he was with Team USA in Las Vegas as they prepared for the FIBA World Cup. So he got some pretty unique insight into Austin Reeves and his development and what that might mean for the Lakers this season. Some important notes about Christian Wood and his potential to wind up with the Los Angeles Lakers. Uh, talked a little bit about Anthony Davis's contract extension, maybe a Jared Vanderbilt extension as well. Got into a lot of stuff with Jovan. But you know the way this usually works? is as soon as we finish recording something, more stuff comes out because that's the way the NBA world is. So after I finish recording the show with Jovan, uh, lo and behold, the NBA schedule started to leak and we found out who the Lakers are going to play opening night and Christmas Day. So before I throw to the interview that I did with Jovan, I want to get into uh, briefly the opening night and Christmas Day matchups for the Lakers. Now, before I get into all of that, um, quick request, those of you, you know, listening over on Apple Podcasts, if you guys wouldn't mind, a great way to help out the show is to give us a five-star rating and a review. It takes you uh, like 20 seconds tops in order to do it. Uh, certainly would appreciate it over on Apple Podcasts. A review over on Spotify would be fantastic as well, those of you who listen on those platforms. All right, so the NBA schedule, it's actually coming out a little bit early this year. It's a little bit early for the NBA schedule to release. Right now, the schedule's coming out, and here we are. It started to leak out August 10th. Usually, it's about a week from now. Usually, it's about a week from now when the schedule comes out. It's usually right around August 19th, 18th, 20th, you know, like right in there. And the way it typically works is you'll get the Christmas Day game will leak, opening night will leak, and then usually within a day or two of that happening, the full schedule comes out. The whole schedule comes out, and we'll hear some other, you know, like MLK Day will come out you know, between now and then some other big days on the NBA calendar will come out, but it's usually within a couple of days that the full schedule. So at this point, I'm assuming that on a future show, maybe by the time you're listening to this show, uh, the full schedule is going to be out and we'll get to break down the whole thing. But for now, what we know is the Lakers are opening up the season against the Denver Nuggets. 
Now, this is not a surprise if you've been listening to this show. That's been my prediction for weeks now. And I, that's not me patting myself on the back at all because I thought it was pretty obvious that that made the most sense for the NBA. I thought there were four teams that the NBA could legitimately consider putting the Lakers against for opening night. And those teams being the Phoenix Suns, the Warriors, the Clippers, and then the Denver Nuggets, the team that ultimately got the matchup. And the Nuggets made the most sense uh, because of just the amount of talking that Denver's been doing. Denver, I mean, <laughs> you look at this and it, it it's almost as though beating the Lakers meant more than them more to them than winning the NBA championship, which is just a good reminder that there's a lot of teams in the Western Conference that see the Lakers as the big bad, as their true rivals, but the Lakers don't feel the same way in return. The Lakers don't look at them as rivals or even really consider them much at all. Um, I know that comes across as, as arrogant and I'm sure fans of other teams, if they're listening to the Lakers nation podcast here are probably rolling their eyes, but that's also just the, the reality. It's, it's the way it is. You know, Blazers fans hate the Lakers. I, I don't think I've heard much from Lakers fans ever about hating the Blazers. Right. Uh, and the same holds true for the Nuggets and the Spurs and a lot of these other teams as well. But Denver has been doing a lot of talking about the Lakers. And let's face it, we don't have rivalries in the NBA the way we used to back in the good old days, back in the Showtime era and all that, where, where teams just hated each other, right? These guys grew up playing AAU ball together. They wind up on Team USA together. They're on all-star teams together. And they just they don't have that animosity that we used to see. They used to sell fights, so to speak, sell these, these big matchups. Well, Denver... They really seem to not like the Lakers. And having swept the Lakers in the Western Conference Finals this last year, that's created some animosity there. And so I think from the NBA's perspective, this is the most dramatic matchup that you can create while still having your defending champions uh, getting their rings. And this, is, this marks the second season in a row that the Lakers will open the season on the road and their opponent will be the reigning champ that's going to be getting their rings that particular night. So interesting kind of, you know, last year, the Lakers started the season off against the Warriors who got their rings opening night. And now they get to go to Denver and play the Nuggets once again. But nonetheless, for the NBA, this matchup makes a ton of, ton of sense. We also get uh, Warriors versus Suns that night as well, which is also kind of funny. It's kind of funny when you think about it. The NBA, they looked at opening night and they said, we need to start the season off hot. They always do. They look to put their what they think are their best matchups on opening night. And they looked at the Eastern Conference and they said, nope, no, thank you. Not interested. It's just not compelling. It's not The matchups in the East, they're just not compelling enough. Now, maybe that'll change if Damian Lillard winds up with the Miami Heat and, you know, some things happen there. But the Eastern Conference is just, you know, the West was so much fun last year. And I think it's going to be the same this year. I think it's going to be an insanely close race. I think the Western Conference has an incredible amount of parity. And it's going to be absolutely paramount that you take the regular season seriously. All these wins are going to matter. Every game is going to matter in the West. And I think that is going to create a lot of excitement, a lot of interest. Eastern Conference, it just doesn't have that. And so the NBA said, you know what? Let's not even play an Eastern Conference team opening night let's just go with the west go with our headliners the main event and let's put the lakers nuggets suns and warriors opening night and i don't think they made the wrong decision i think it's the right decision then you look at christmas day 
Christmas Day, you got to have some East teams in there. No getting around it. No getting around it. And so the Lakers are going to draw the Celtics. And this is actually what I asked for. This was my hope was that it was going to be Lakers-Celtics. Maybe I'm a traditionalist. It's, you know, I grew up during the Showtime era, Lakers-Celtics being the big rivalry. But I was kind of hoping for this classic Lakers-Celtics matchup. Because as much as, you know, the Denver Nuggets might be saying some things, as much as the Clippers can get... Uh, can get annoying with kind of the little brother syndrome and things like that at times. It's the Celtics. It's the Celtics, right? I mean, there's just, there's always going to be something special about Lakers versus Celtics. So getting that on Christmas day, I'm for it. Let's put a lump of coal in Boston stockings and, uh, and let's go the other matchups that day bucks and Knicks. The Knicks are kind of like the Lakers and that even if they're bad and I'm not saying the Knicks are bad, they're not. But even if they are bad, they're still going to play on Christmas because their fan base is so huge. So you get Bucks versus Knicks. Is that a super compelling matchup? Maybe by December 25th it will be. Right now, it's eh, not. It's just it's kind of there. It's just okay. But that's that's the opener. So all right, that's fine. Um, I like the Bucks. I like. I thought you know the Bucks were I, they were my pick to come out of the East last year, and then obviously they they imploded during round one. Uh, but it'll be it's. It's there. That'll be the appetizer matchup. Then you go 76ers heat. If Damian Lillard is in Miami, that makes this even more compelling. But will James Harden be with the 76ers? Something to watch. You've got then Celtics Lakers kind of in the marquee matchup, middle of the day uh, game. And then it's Mavericks and Suns. That should be an exciting one. Luca, Kyrie going into Phoenix, taking on all of their stars there. And then they finish off things with Steph Curry and the Warriors against the Nuggets, the reigning champs. Nikola Jokic uh, playing there for Denver. That's going to be a good one as well. So when I look at the Christmas Day matchups, I think the NBA did pretty well. I can't complain. I'm sure, look, we could all tweak the schedules a little bit. And without seeing the full schedule, it's hard to complain too much. Because we could say, oh, well, I would have rather have seen Lakers-Suns on Christmas. Well, maybe they needed the Lakers-Suns matchup, you know, another day. I don't know. We'll have to see the full schedule come out. But I'm excited. I'm excited. I think opening night, the NBA maybe made the somewhat controversial decision to just ignore the Eastern Conference opening night, but I think it's the correct decision for the league to make. And then Christmas Day, I, like Bucks Heat or Bucks Knicks may not be that compelling, but every other matchup that I see is pretty good. And I'm going to watch the hell out of Bucks and Knicks because Giannis is playing, and I think the Knicks are are a better team than than people will give them credit for. They can be a threat on any given night. And then you get into these, these big superstar battles. Jimmy Butler and the Heat going up against Embiid and the 76ers and their battles and, and all that. That's going to be fun. The Celtics and the Lakers, of course, always classic. Luka and the Mavs against all the stars on, on the Suns. Kevin Durant and Devin Booker and Bradley Beal and uh, on and on. And then you get the Warriors Curry against Jokic and the Nuggets. It's going to be an exciting Christmas Day. So... Again, I like what the NBA has done here, and I'm expecting the full schedule to be coming out soon. When it does come out, we'll break down the whole thing. We'll look for difficult stretches for the Lakers. We'll look for long road trips. We'll look for, for light stretches in the schedule as well. Not going to be a lot of them. I'll tell you that right now. Just logistically, there's not going to be a lot of easy stretches for any Western Conference team this year. Because there's so many good West teams. Um, there's going to be multiple good teams 
that not only don't make the playoffs, but that don't even make the play-in. Going to be crazy. Going to be crazy, and I can't wait. All right, let's get to the interview I did with Jovan Buha of The Athletic. A lot of good stuff. So, everybody, thank you, and uh, make sure you stick around for this interview because uh, there's some some good stuff in here, I think. Thanks, everybody. Hello, Lakers Nation. Welcome into the LakersNation.com podcast. I am Trevor Lane. You can find me over on Twitter at Trevor underscore Lane. Today, we're going to talk a little Team USA. We'll talk Austin Reeves. We'll talk about the Lakers, their situation with Anthony Davis's contract extension. We'll talk about Jared Vanderbilt a little bit. A few other topics as well with our guest, Jovan Bua of The Athletic. Jovan, how are you doing? Doing well, man. How are you doing? Doing well, doing well. You've uh, you've spent just a little bit of time in Las Vegas this summer. I was out there for Summer League. You went back out there for Team USA. Uh, have you had your fill of Vegas at this point? Yeah, so I, I just lied. I'm I'm not doing well. I'm I'm, I'm recovering from uh, a second <laughs> Vegas trip. <laughs> I, I've had uh, about 11 days of Vegas in the past month, and I would say that that's enough Vegas for me for the rest of the year. <laughs> a little bit of Vegas goes a long way. It's a great place. But man, you've got to be you've got to be exhausted uh, at this point after that much Las Vegas over over the last month or so. Um, what you got to go out there and cover Team USA? They're getting ready for the FIBA World Cup. What was what was that experience like? Uh, it was awesome. It, it's always one of my favorite events to cover. Uh, I believe this is my third time covering uh, the World Championship, uh, at least the the Vegas portion of it, and it's always fun to see. Uh, just, you know, young guys kind of coming into their own. A lot of these guys, especially on this team, I, I don't think they have a top 20 player uh, to, you know, if we were ranking guys. Uh, you know, I think Anthony Edwards is probably the closest. Uh, Brandon Ingram, Jalen Brunson are, again, kind of borderline guys there. But uh, this is a, a team with a lot of guys who've made one all-star team, if not an all-star team period. And uh, I think just kind of seeing how, certain guys establish themselves as the alpha because we remember going back to the redeem team like you know Mm -hmm. kobe was the alpha on that 2008 team and then there's kind of more of a passing of the torch to lebron for the the 2012 team and it kind of just progresses through like who's the guy on that team and with this group of course uh only i think a few of these guys will end up making the olympic team but even within this kind of group dynamic it's interesting to see who are the established leaders who are the guys uh, among the group. So uh, really it was Jalen Brunson uh, taking the the leadership mantle of uh, he's kind of been that guy. Uh, I think Anthony Edwards is the most talented player on the roster. So you've seen that in terms of his offensive role. Uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. was the guy who earned probably the best reviews overall and in terms of just what he could do on both ends of the floor and how dominant he could be. And then of course there was Austin Reeves who uh, was one of the standout guys and uh, you know, in talking to people, really people were impressed with, uh, I mean, first just his demeanor and, and how nice he is and uh, his sense of humor. And you know, he's, he's very self-deprecating, always cracking jokes. And I, I think from afar, people view him as this reserved, mild-mannered guy. Uh, but he was one of the personalities of the team through the first few days. Uh, and then number two, just how good of a basketball player he is. Again, I think people look at him white guy on the Lakers role player plays with LeBron like he, he kind of gets stereotyped or, or cast a certain way and uh it was pretty clear from uh the first couple of scrimmages like Austin is gonna be a key piece on this team 
And uh, I think based on uh, you know pedigree and, and accolades and, and whatnot, you look at this roster, he's probably 10th, 11th uh, on, the, on the team uh, in terms of established NBA guys. But he was in the top seven or eight consistently in terms of uh, you know, I mean, in the in the exhibition game against Puerto Rico, but also in the scrimmages against the select team, he was one of the first or or second guards off the bench and, and playing a key role. So I think Austin really was one of the guys who helped his stock the most during camp, uh, based on what I saw. Yeah, I mean, he's some of the reaction, especially from non-Lakers fans across social media, was that Austin did really deserve to be there, that this is just hype because he's a Laker and he's not really all that good and, and all that kind of, you know, hot takey stuff. But he's quickly disproven any any of that. He looks very much, especially the, the game against Puerto Rico, he looks like he belongs, just flat out. I mean, just looks like he belongs out there on the floor. Uh, what did you see in terms of the, the scrimmage against the, the select team? I mean, we heard all about how the select team actually won the first couple of meetings on the first day and then, Team USA came back. What was that like? And then how did Austin fit into that whole dynamic playing against other NBA? We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Guys. Yeah, well, I think the one area that this group is still learning how to play together with is half-court offense. I think you saw it in the first half of the game against Puerto Rico, but you also saw it in the scrimmages against the select team where there are a lot of ISO-heavy guys, uh, particularly in that starting lineup with Brunson, Edwards, and Ingram. So a lot of the time it's just they kind of are swinging the ball around, playing horseshoe basketball, and then one guy just tries to take his guy one-on-one. And uh, I think that can work when you're a Kevin Durant, a LeBron, a Steph Curry, a Kobe, like one of those elite, elite guys. Uh, but if you're not at that level, uh, I, I think you, you you see with just some of the ways that uh, you're allowed more contact at the FIBA level, you're allowed to goaltend uh, by NBA standards. Like there are different things that kind of make it harder to score in some ways at the FIBA level. And I think with them adjusting to those rules, that alone has been an adjustment, but then also trying to score against some of those rules, uh, you know, w- w- was kind of a struggle for them, uh, particularly in the half court. So I-, I think the one thing with this group is they're going to have to move the ball well. Uh, I think you see a a real shift when Tyrese Halliburton and Austin Reeves enter the game, which is the tempo, the way the ball moves. Uh, Tyrese is the best passer on the team. Austin is a really good ball mover and playmaker. Uh, so I think those two guys really complement each other well, and you just see a different I- identity with that 
uh, second group. Uh, but with Austin, it really was translating a lot of what he did with the Lakers in the second half of the year and in the playoffs uh, into his role with Team USA, where I think you just saw him look a lot more confident. I think there were times where in the past, Austin would have passed up a shot, made the extra pass where it's like, no, if I'm open, I'm going to take this three. You know, if I have a guy closing out on me, uh, I'm going to put the ball down. And if I have a, a lane to the rim, I'm going to take that lane and I'm going to go score or I'm going to, uh, you know, go create a shot for someone else. But I just think him playing with a certain level of confidence and assertiveness that he didn't always have, uh, particularly his first year and a half or so, where sometimes we would see, you know, the ball gets swung to him and he turns down the shot or he he's kind of looking to make the pass and then decides to shoot it. And it, it wasn't his first option, but I think you saw the Austin that we all saw breaking out as a legitimate, you know, high-level starter in the second half of the year. And, you know, Austin, I mean, uh, Darvin Ham said earlier in the summer that uh, he, he thinks Austin's going to be an all-star sooner than later. And I think with the Team USA bump, like, the way he fit in, the way he, I mean, he's guarding Anthony Edwards, Brandon Ingram, uh, Jalen Brunson on a daily basis for the next six weeks. Like, I, I think that's going to do nothing but, uh, improve, you know, his game and help grow and develop him. So uh, I don't know if next year, you know, next year is probably too ambitious, but with the trajectory he's on and, and the way he's ascended through his first two years in the NBA, uh, it's hard not to to kind of envision that possibility for him two, three years down the road. Yeah, his growth has been absolutely incredible. I mean, when you think it was, it was two years ago that he was undrafted and now here he is not just you know, not just in a starting role with the Lakers, not just now on a contract that pays him more than the number one pick in, in his draft class, but now also getting the call up to Team USA among some of the very best young players in the league. Absolutely incredible rise. Uh, when we're looking at at now, he's playing for Steve Kerr. And sometimes when you get your different coaches will utilize players in different ways. From being up close with the team, have you noticed anything different about the way Kerr utilizes Austin Reeves compared to Darvin Ham, just looking at him through kind of a different lens. Yeah, I, I think he's been on the ball a little bit less. Uh, there was a sequence or, or a stretch rather in the select team scrimmages where he did run point guard with the starting group. So it was uh, Austin, Anthony Edwards, Mikhail Bridges, Brandon Ingram, and Jaron uh, Jackson Jr. And it was those five guys with, with Austin running point and kind of splitting the ball handling duties with Anthony Edwards. Uh, so I would say he's primarily been a shooting guard with Team USA. Tyrese Halberton has been the one. Uh, he, they're almost kind of linked together in terms of their minutes uh, a lot of the time. So I would say you know not as many pick and rolls or isos with Austin in that second unit. I think it's been a lot more ball movement. Uh, you know, and it kind of makes sense when you think of Golden State and the way that they like to play. Uh, it is very much quick decisions, uh, guys flying around screens. I think you've seen Austin, uh, you know, more as a shooter, more as a catch and shoot guy, more as someone coming off screens on the weak side and uh, the, the team looking to uh, exploit defenses over playing and, and trying to find him there. So uh, I would say compared to the role he developed into with the Lakers in terms of arguably being the, the primary ball handler, I mean, uh, we can remember game one against Memphis where the Lakers were running their playoff offense through him uh, in a very important game. Uh, it wasn't like that. And and of course, with the talent that Team USA has, it's not going to be like that. But I think it was kind of him adjusting to that Golden State 
uh, you know, style of play. And I really think this experience beyond just the players, uh, but looking at the coaches, he's right now working with Steve Kerr, Eric Spolstra, Ty Lu, uh, Mark Few. But those first three names in particular are arguably the three best head coaches in the league, at least three of the top five. All three guys have won championships. Two of them have won multiple championships. And all three guys embrace modern basketball, you know, pace and space, small ball. Uh, so I think Austin getting uh, a kind of a unique experience with those three guys in particular is really going to elevate his game. And all three, you know, think very highly of him, have spoken highly of him. So I think, again, uh, just this experience of, of not only going up against some of these guys on a daily basis, but learning from some of these coaches is really going to be wonders for Austin's game. See, I've been talking about on on the show here that maybe a, a, something that we're not discussing enough is the growth of Austin Reeves. Right? We talk about uh, we talk about they added player X, Y, and Z. They added Jackson Hayes. You add Torian Prince. You're adding Gabe Vincent. You're adding all these guys to the Lakers. What can they do in order to you know help raise the ceiling? What about LeBron and AD? Where can they be? And we're all everybody's just kind of penciling in Austin as being the same guy he was last year. And now I, I've been saying we're not talking enough about how he can grow. And, and you know, but you're just getting me even more excited. I'm even more excited for what Austin could do this next year because I agree. I think this this experience can be massive for him, and he's going to continue to develop. And perhaps that he could wind up being out of all the new players coming in, the shiny new toys, and, and LeBron and AD, the biggest ceiling raiser for the Lakers for the next season may indeed be the development of Austin Reeves. I, I couldn't agree more with you. I mean, I, I think still looking at how things played out after the trade deadline, like, yes, D'Angelo Russell, Jared Vanderbilt, Malik Beasley, Rui, of course, uh, each had their moments. Uh, and and Rui, I, I think, you know, that was more so in the playoffs. Uh, D'Lo struggled in, in the Denver series. You know, Vando was kind of progressively played off the floor in the playoffs. Malik eventually fell out of the rotation. But to me, aside from maybe the addition by subtraction of getting Russ off the team, the biggest thing was just Austin's ascension. And if you look at what was really sustainable and and where the biggest growth on the roster was, it was they basically had a third guy playing at a near all-star level. I mean, Austin was basically 18-5-5, near 50-40-90 shooting splits since he became a starter Ten games with 10 games left in the regular season and then carrying that into the playoffs. So, I, I mean, I look at the Denver series of like, there, you know, at, at certain points, it felt like the Lakers could only rely on five or six guys in that series. Austin was among that group and was often leading their offense in fourth quarters and in crunch time against Denver. So biggest stage uh, against the team that won the NBA championship, gave the Lakers the hardest time in the playoffs, of course. Uh, he was one of the few guys that was actually thriving and holding his own in that matchup. So I, again, I, I think... I think people were already underrating the end of Austin's season and how good he was. But just thinking about the Team USA bump that we've seen so many young guys have of, you know, a lot of stars. If you look at, mm -hmm. you know, even a guy like Kevin Durant, look at the bump he got in 2010. Like, it's just that next year they take such a leap. And I think there's a limitation to how high his ceiling could be playing alongside LeBron and AD because we know the ball is going to go through them. Those are the two alphas. But uh, I think him as a number three guy, him as a third star potentially, is totally within the realm of possibility. We, uh, we're we going to talk about AD's contract in just a moment. Before we leave Austin Reeves here, 
there's been a little bit of chatter going around this this summer that the Lakers, the the plan for heading into next season is going to be to run the ball even more through Austin Reeves. Um, let him operate the ball at a, you know, whether it's at a pick and roll or just be the primary initiator and, that, and thus push D'Angelo Russell off ball a little bit more. Do you see that as, as that, is that the path the Lakers are going to go down this year? More Austin Reeves with the ball in his hands? Yes. Yes. That's something I've reported, something I've yeah. heard. Uh, I think, again, you saw that at times in the playoffs, uh, you know, think of, thinking of moments of the Memphis series, thinking of moments in the Denver series. Uh, I also think there's an element too of the Lakers know Austin is locked up through 2026 at a minimum and, you know, potentially longer if he ends up staying in LA, being a Laker for life, as he's talked about. Uh, whereas D'Angelo Russell only has a two year deal and could potentially be their most enticing trade asset uh, around the trade deadline. So I think there's an element too of like, we know that if we build the offense around Austin as the primary guy and, and or at least the primary ball handler until crunch time when, LeBron is, of course, going to take over. Uh, I, I think there's a sustainability to that. Of we we know we're going to have that past the trade deadline. We know we're going to have that in the playoffs. Whereas with D'Lo, I think there's still you know is this guy going to be on the roster come mid February? Um, so I think, and, and then I also think just naturally, like I think Austin's ascended past D'Lo. I, I think he's he's the third best guy on the team. He was better than him in the playoffs. He was better than him with the ball in his hands. Like I, I think D'Lo still has a an important role in this roster in terms of his catch and shoot and, and spot up ability and uh, attacking guys on the second side and, and weak side but you know, I think Austin is the the better ball handler and playmaker right now and um so I, I think that's the way the Lakers are trending I, I think they want to take some of the workload off of LeBron and, and him having to create so much we saw it work last year and I think they're just going to continue to do more of that all right, let's talk a little bit about the big move that the Lakers just made, and that was you know, one of our big questions for the summer was would they extend Anthony Davis? We had a good sense that they were probably going to offer him that extension. I was a little surprised at how quickly it went down. August 4th, the first day that it was that it was possible, they, they get the deal done. What were your thoughts on the extension, and did you were you also caught a little off guard by how quickly it all went down? Yeah, I was a little caught off guard. I thought that AD might take his time and really weigh the different scenarios. Of course, he's had the last however many months to, to really think about this. So I think it was just a culmination of that process. Uh, but I think it's a win-win for both sides. I think it's probably more of a win for the Lakers just because had AD uh, had the caliber of year that he just had, he would have been able to get that five-year max next summer and earn 300 plus million or uh, you know about 230, 240 on the open market if he chose to go elsewhere. So AD did cost himself uh, probably an extra year on that, you know, in total, and an extra 60 to 70 million. But I think it's a win-win for both sides because for the Lakers, you're locking a, you're locking in AD, you're saving money, you're saving that extra year of flexibility, and now you have a pillar of the franchise for moving forward because it wasn't too long ago where the Lakers were struggling to find that star in between an aging Kobe Bryant and eventually landing LeBron James. And we remember some of the, the star pitches and the different guys they went after, mm -hmm. and it didn't work out. And, uh, you know, it took LeBron coming to really shift that and, and give them the success that they've had over the last half decade plus. Uh, but I, I think now you have that guy locked up in AD. And to me, AD is as malleable of a superstar as we have in the league 
particularly at the big man position where he's going to fit around any type of perimeter star that wants to come to the Lakers, you know, be it, he could fit next to a Jason Tatum. He could fit next to a Luka Doncic. He could fit next to a Trey Young, like any type of player archetype that you can come up with. AD can complement that guy as a role man, as a post-up guy, as a pick and pop guy, as a rim protector. Uh, and, and he's also shown to me a, a deferential quality where he came to the Lakers at the peak of his powers in the middle of his prime. And he was willing to be a number two guy willing to defer to LeBron and, and learn from him and, and kind of just put some of his numbers and individual success to the side uh, for the sake of winning. And of course, you know, wins a championship for the first year, like it, it obviously worked out, but I think for AD, if I'm pitching, you know, playing for the Lakers and playing alongside AD to one of those, you know, other superstars around the league, I'm like, come be the guy, come be the alpha, come be the number one option. And, AD is going to have no issue. I mean, if anything, it, it probably fits better where we've seen AD sometimes struggle offensively, you know, particularly in this past, uh, you know, playoffs where he wasn't the most consistent offensive guy. But if you have that number one guy, I think he can be arguably the best number two in the NBA. So I, I really like it from the Lakers side. From AD's side, you get that long-term security. Uh, you don't have to worry about what if I play 30 games next year? Am I going to get an extension? Am I going to get the five-year deal? Like, I think if he has another injury-riddled season, there is a potential for the market to just sour on him already. I think his trade value and league-wide perception is a little bit lower than it was a year or two ago. Uh, he did rehab that somewhat with this past season and, and his playoff success, but still, there is a concern of, can this guy stay healthy or is he going to miss 20-plus games every year? And now he doesn't have to worry about that. He has it locked in. And, and we saw him do this in 2020 as well. He could have signed a short-term deal, re-entered free agency in 2021 or 2022 and gotten more money in the big picture, but he chose the long-term security of, I'm going to sign the five-year deal with the Lakers and just lock up the the guaranteed money. And I think it worked out for him, obviously, the, these past few years, and I think it's going to work out for him in the future. So to me, it's a, it's a win-win. There's, of course, some risk on, does AD stay healthy? How does he age? We know he's he has a, a extensive injury history, but to me, it made a lot of sense for both sides. And I think this is a really big move for the Lakers setting up the rest of the decade. Buying tickets to your favorite event shouldn't be stressful. Game time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all sports, music, comedy, and theaters near you. With killer deals on last minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over tickets and start getting hyped for the fun that you will have. Personally, I'm the shopper right i look around a lot of different places trying to make sure i'm getting the best deal particularly when it's a bigger purchase which well tickets to a sporting event they usually are so i shop around to a lot of different places so game time takes away my stress when i'm shopping for tickets because they offer a lowest price guarantee which is absolutely phenomenal so it's the fastest growing ticketing app in the country for a reason you get images of your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect. No surprises. You buy tickets in a matter of seconds. And because of that game time guarantee, you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time credits you 110% of the difference. Think about that. That's how convinced game time is that they will offer you the lowest price they offer that guarantee that way you can buy with confidence and avoid 
that stress. The tickets get sent directly to your phone, so you don't have to dig through your email or anything like that. You get them right to your phone. So snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use the code LakersNation for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code LakersNation for $20 off. Download Game Time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Yeah, yeah, I agree 100%. I think this is uh, certainty on both sides. Gives you certainty, of course, for Anthony Davis, uh, protection against injury and things like that. But then for the Lakers, as you said, they they become a ready-made landing spot to just about any, whenever LeBron sails off into the sunset, who knows, could be four years from now. We have no idea how much longer he's going to play. But whenever he does decide to to hang him up, you are, you as the Lakers, you're pitching AD, Austin Reeves. We've got uh, all these other pieces that we've built in as as kind of role players around this, whether it's Rui Hachimura, whether, you know, Gabe Vincent, however long these guys are, are on the team. Uh, you've got these guys as well. Come on in and, and we're off and running. And I think that can be a very enticing scenario post-LeBron. Um, AD is not the only extension-eligible Laker, though. Jared Vanderbilt is also going to be extension-eligible uh, in short order here, what's what's your sense on, on that situation? What, do the Lakers have an appetite for extending Bando? Is he looking for an extension? Where do you see that whole situation going? So I haven't heard much on a potential Bando extension, but I do know that the Lakers are high on Bando. I mean, they were very pleased with his performance uh, after acquiring him at the trade deadline. I think they saw some things in him uh, that they weren't sure of, particularly his perimeter defense, his ability to lockdown wings and guards but he used a little bit more as a big man uh, in previous stops in in Utah and in Minnesota uh, so I think there is an appetite on on their end for potential extension I, I think of course it's going to come down to what that number is is that uh three years 24 million is that three years 36 million is that three years 45 million? like you know I, I think there's a range there of what you could argue Vando is worth uh, I think the one concern from the Lakers side is seeing the way he was played off in the playoffs. And, uh, you know, again, if, if you're, I mean, w- with the new salary cap, every dollar matters more so than ever just because of that that second apron and, and the luxury tax penalties now that almost act as a, a soft cap. Uh, so I think for them, it's, you know, there's a big difference between paying a guy $8 million a year versus $15 million a year. And if that guy is potentially not able to play in certain matchups in the playoffs and your standard is championship or bust, well, that kind of complicates things. So I think for the Lakers side, it's probably more finding the right number and making sure it's a number that makes sense, making sure it's a number they're comfortable with in terms of committing long-term salary, knowing that they already have AD, Austin, Gabe Vincent, Rui under contract. Like, how does Vando fit into that mix? Um, so I, I don't, I mean, if I had to guess, I, I would probably say lean 55% toward them coming to an agreement versus, you know, 45% not. Uh, but I haven't heard an actual number thrown out. And I think for Vando's side, like, he, he loves being in LA. Um, I, I think off the court, you know, he, he's into fashion and different things. So I, I think that the LA lifestyle kind of fits him. Uh, LA emboldened him in a way that uh, some other teams I, I don't think have. So I, I think for him, th- there's definitely an interest. But uh, again, it's always about finding the right number. And I think there's a chance that 
you know, had the extension been eligible before the playoffs, I think that number would look a little bit different than, than, you know, what it currently would. So uh, maybe it's a little bit lower than Vando would want. So I I think it's just about finding that, you know, if I had to guess, it's probably in that eight to 12 million range, uh, somewhere in there. And uh, it's closer to eight. Maybe he's not as interested. If it's closer to 12, maybe you get his interest. So uh, I think it's something to keep an eye on. But for the Lakers, I I think it also could be a wait and see thing of like, we want to see how does he fit into this new roster? How does he fit around guys like Tori and Prince, Rui, and into just the new identity we're trying to cultivate. Uh, and, you know, again, if, if he fits great, you, you definitely keep the guy. If, if not, uh, you know, potentially you you explore other options. In your opinion, is Vando a starter this next year when you look at uh, assuming it's, I mean, I guess it could be Gabe Vincent, but I'm assuming it's, it's D'Lo, Austin, LeBron, AD. Is Vando that fifth guy? Is it Rui? Is it Tori and Prince? How do you see that that breaking down? For me, I have Rui in the starting lineup. I, I think investing three years, $51 million in a guy. Um, yeah, I just think we we have so many examples throughout the league where money talks to an extent. And when a guy gets paid a certain amount of money, I think there is a starter expectation. And if you look at the playoffs again, the Lakers trended that direction with Rui progressively playing more and more and eventually entering the starting lineup in that Denver series. Uh, so to me... I think you can look at it a couple of ways because that Vando starting lineup obviously had a lot of success in the regular season. It was pretty good in the playoffs as well uh, until he and, and D'Lo started to struggle a little bit. But I, my concern would be if I'm the Lakers looking at it, uh, you know, do we almost create a scenario where we have two different starting lineups where in the regular season we have this starting lineup that worked. We, we think on an average night, without teams really game planning for our weaknesses or, or, you know, Vando's weaknesses, we can just kind of run this lineup out. He's going to guard the best perimeter scorer. Uh, you know, D'Lo's going to do his thing. And, you know, this is our starting five versus getting to the playoffs. And now it's like, okay, well, now that teams can, can really game plan for us, they're going to put their worst perimeter defender on Vando and they're going to park that guy in the paint or one foot outside the paint and just completely ignore him. And at this point in his career, he's not shown he's able to exploit that uh, both as a spot-up guy, but also as a cutter. I mean, I think that was yeah. another uh, kind of underrated part was like Vando struggled as a cutter, catching passes, finishing in, in traffic. Like if he could do some of those things a little bit better, I think you could even live with the shooting. But the fact that he the shooting struggled and he was struggling to finish and catch passes at times, uh, that to me was kind of a red flag of like this guy is an offensive liability uh, w- with his current role. So for me, I-, I think Prince or Rui just make more sense as a potentially more sustainable option that you could use in the playoffs and you don't have to change your starting lineup. Uh, because I think that, that I think that kind of hurt the Lakers at times in the playoffs where it was like they wa- they changed their starting lineup multiple times and it was just sometimes units that hadn't played together, whether it was a new starting group or a new bench group. And I, I think you want that continuity heading into the postseason. So for me, I would try to go with the the most sustainable option, and and that is probably Rui starting. Now, you are putting a lot of pressure on Rui and or LeBron to defend the perimeter. Yeah. And that's where, to me, I can, you know, I look at, do you start a Gabe Vincent over D'Angelo? Do you go kind of funky and start a Max Christie if he continues to Mm -hmm. ascend and go Christie and Reeves and kind of, you know, we, we talk about the too big look with 2020, but I also remember that backcourt was massive with an Avery Bradley and a Danny Green. 
Uh, that was more elite perimeter defense, but eventually Danny Green and KCP, you're starting two guys, six, five, six, six, and they can guard one through three each. So do you eventually go with that with an Austin Reeves and a Max Christie and get super funky there? Like, I think there's different ways it can go. You can probably make a case for eight, nine guys to start on this team. It's a good problem to have. But for me, I would go uh, AD, LeBron, Rui, Austin, and D'Lo uh, with, with probably Gabe replacing D'Lo. It's, it's interesting. You know, when we, when we look at these different rotations that you can throw out there, all the different combinations you can have, especially I find when I compare it to last year, Darvin has so many different possibilities so many different ways he can play this roster and I think that's going to be fascinating this coming season you're talking about you know I haven't even thought much about Max Christie being in the starting lineup but you make a good point there that maybe at some point maybe not right out of the gate but at some point that might even make sense we talk about Torian Prince talk about Vando we talk about Rui talk about all these other guys that could potentially start for the Lakers and Darvin I mean he's got so many options to him when last season he was kind of stuck with well I don't have any other wing defenders, so Pat Bev, you're six one, but go defend dudes who are six eight. You know this is this is going to be really fascinating. I think we're going to find out a lot about Darvin's basketball philosophy and how he sees things as well because of the choices that he now has in front of him for this season. I think that's maybe one of the underrated parts of the Lakers' offseason is the flexibility that they've built into this roster. Yeah, no, I I think I, I'm totally in agreement with you. I, I think that's one of the the beauties. Uh, of this roster is you could like, you know, there's so many different ways you could go. Like Max Christie, again, could, I think he could be a starter. He could be uh, the backup two guard behind Austin. He could maybe even play some three, uh, depending on the the scenario. A guy like Torian Prince can play either forward. Like you have so much versatility where a lot of these guys can play two, three positions and you could just play around with the pieces uh, and, and really figure out you can go small, you can go big. You could go with more shooting. You could go with a faster lineup. Like there are so many different ways you, you can play it if you're the Lakers. And I think just in comparison with the lineup that they were, I mean the the rotation they were starting with last year, uh, way more size, way more shooting, and it just makes a lot more sense. So uh, I mean that's why I think this is a top two or three team in the West right now. And it, you know, a big part of it is the flexibility that they have with lineups. All right, Jovan, before we get out of here, I believe at this point we're contractually obligated to talk about that mysterious 14th roster spot that is still sitting out there. We know the Lakers have to fill it. What's, what's going on? Lakers fans can't can't stop asking, when are they going to sign someone? We're assuming it's going to be a center. What's what's going on here? Well, the only thing we know definitively is Rob Polinka said uh, when we spoke with him in July that the team is going to sign someone before training camp. Uh, training camp starts uh, well media day is October 2nd so I assume training camp will be October 3rd uh, so that gives you a, a deadline of about eight weeks seven weeks uh, but from my understanding everything's being held up right now because of the Dame Lillard and to a lesser extent James Harden situations uh, a lot of teams are, are preparing to potentially be a, a third team and uh, you know be a facilitator that to help get some assets uh, and or, or even potentially a fourth team, depending on how big you know either trade ends up mm-hmm. getting. Uh, but with, with my understanding is with, with the Christian Wood situation, because uh, we're talking about Christian Wood and, and Bismack Beyond. Uh, Christian Wood, yep. from my understanding, is uh, interested in in a potential role in Miami, 
And depending on what players are involved in that trade, uh, from the Miami side, you know, Nikola Jovic, I think would be someone that would likely go to Portland or elsewhere. And then does Yusuf Nurkic come back? Because I think Nurkic is a big key here where uh, Miami already has Bam Adebayo, Kevin Love, and Thomas Bryant. And if they add a Yusuf Nurkic, I think that front court is pretty much set, at least at that 4-5 spot. If they don't, and they get rid of Jovic, now you're looking at, okay, well, we have you know, three bigs that we trust. Can Christian Wood come in here and outplay a Kevin Love and a Thomas Bryant, which I don't think is that unrealistic for him no. uh, to, to come in and, and play a big role there. So uh, th- there's also Chicago kind of looming with, uh, they have that injury exception because of the Lonzo situation. So I think they have upwards of around $10 million to spend uh, if they so choose. Uh, I think that would have likely already happened if uh, if they were going to sign him. But you, you never know. Sometimes, uh, you know, t- teams are talking to multiple guys and, and trying to figure out the, the, the best option forward uh, or an injury hits or something. Like, you just never know what, what's going to happen over an offseason. So my understanding, though, is the Dame situation is put not only the Christian Wood and Bismack Biombo, but other situations around the league, a lot of teams don't have complete rosters. There are some solid free agents still on sign. I think of a guy like P.J. Washington, who, who still doesn't have a team yet. So I think there's just a lot up in the air because of these two superstar uh, trade situations. Uh, that being said, nothing has really changed. It's still Christian Wood, Bismack Biombo. Christian Wood is the top priority. The Lakers are confident that despite his defensive limitations, despite some of the locker room and team dynamic concerns that have been out there kind of behind the scenes, they can make it work. They look at Malik Monk, uh, Dennis Schroeder, Lonnie Walker, uh, Stanley Johnson, as some of these like talented guys that haven't always had the best perceptions that they've been able to kind of rehab. Uh, I would posit that, I mean, look at Russell Westbrook, and, and that's kind of maybe the downside. And Wood isn't going to be making that much money, so I don't think it's the same downside. He's not going to be a, a leader in that capacity, but like there is a scenario, I think, where you could make a bet on a guy and it just doesn't end up working out. Uh, but I think they look at it, Wood is the favorite. For me, I really like the potential fit of Bismack Biombo. I think just having um, a guy that you know was number two in terms of defensive field goal percentage allowed at the rim uh, behind Triple J, which obviously defensive player of the year, like, so that's pretty good company. Uh, but also, you know, just a really good finisher around the rim, good screen center, uh, you know, hard-nosed, uh, just a tough physical player that I think is going to accept his role. You're not going to need to play him more than 8 to 12 minutes a night. And I think he can help Jaron, I mean, uh, Jackson Hayes develop as a defensive big and just kind of learning the tricks of the trade and, uh, you know, just good big man insurance. Now, the one thing, of course, is, when AD's out, that's where I think Christian Wood makes a lot more sense. If yeah. AD's going to miss 20, 25 games, you want the upside of Christian Wood. That's a guy who can start, who has started before, who can play 30 minutes a night. So I, I kind of see it both ways in terms of the argument for both of those guys. And then beyond that, Colin Castleton's going to get a look. Uh, I, I think you, I, I was, we were, saw with Austin Reeves that LeBron minicamp in Vegas before the season really solidified Austin's role on the team and, and it his roster spot. So maybe Colin Castleton, you know, the, the team's going to start practicing in September with informal practices, guys just scrimmaging and, and, you know, doing runs. Does Colin Castleton stand out? And does he potentially earn that 14th roster spot? And then you have Wenyan Gabriel and Tristan Thompson. Those two guys 
familiar with the Lakers system. They remain unsigned. Lakers love both those guys. They just feel like Biombo and Wood are better players, fit greater needs. Uh, but if Biombo and Wood end up signing elsewhere and they're not Lakers next season, I, I think you know Wenyan and Tristan are, are the two other guys besides Castleton to, to look at. So it's a, a matter of just, I think, first and foremost, this Dame situation, James Harden situation being resolved. But then if it gets to training camp and it's not resolved, that's where I think the Lakers ultimately just have to make a call of, you know, is Biombo waiting on us because we want Wood? Uh, mm-hmm. Did we just sign Biombo? Or do we go in a different direction and bring back a guy we already know? And, and then now, you know, let's just... And still have an open out roster spot where if Christian Wood, for every reason, just doesn't get signed, you can technically sign him with that 15th roster spot. You, you still have that flexibility. So there's a bunch of different ways this can play out. I know it's not a great answer for Laker fans. It's, it's not what they want to hear, but I think you got to preach patience here where it's yeah. going to still be, in my opinion, another few weeks. Oh, yeah. F- fans want to hear Christian Wood intends to sign with the Lakers I will, right I, now. I think Christian right? Wood, like, if I had a bet, if I was if I was gambling on the situation, I would say Christian Wood ends up being a Laker. But, mm-hmm. again, I, I think it's there's a lot that, that this can, you know, the, a lot of different ways this can play out. Is your sense that Christian Wood's preference would be that Miami situation where they don't wind up with Nurkic over what the Lakers could offer? That, that's my sense. Uh, okay. Because again, I mean, if if it was the Lakers, like he could, he should be a he would do that right now. now, right? So I think the potential to play in the East and play a big role. Uh, I think with Miami, they've liked two big lineups. Uh, you know, and he fits like like again, kind of a better version of a Kevin Love, where not the greatest defender but a solid rebounder, stretch big, pick-and-pop guy, can also score inside. Uh, I, like, I, and the Thomas, like, if you look at the, the the two guys Miami brought back, or, you know, uh, brought back in love, signed in Bryant, stretch bigs who can play theoretically alongside Bam Adebayo. Uh, they've always liked that archetype with Kelly Olenek, Myers Leonard. So Christian Wood fits that as a big who can shoot the ball. And I, I think, I, you know, my, I think my read is that, uh, his role would likely be bigger in Miami if he went there. Mm-hmm. And that to him is, is an, uh, you know potential opportunity to uh, get a bigger contract next summer. Versus with the Lakers, I know they've talked about the too big thing. To me, it doesn't really make sense. I think AD is a five, LeBron is a four. There are different stages of their career in terms of uh, their physical, you know, just their, their physical states from 2020. Like LeBron is not as spry and as young as he was. AD has bulked up a bit. Is a jump shot has disappeared. Like so, I, I think the arguments for them to go back to the too big thing, I think can work in in bench shifts and they can work in certain matchups. But as a every night we're playing 20, 25 minutes of eighty plus another big, just doesn't really make sense to me. So I, I think I I'd be skeptical if the Lakers actually go in that direction. So I, I think for Wood, there's probably a, a a capped upside of like sixteen to twenty two minutes, sixteen to twenty four minutes with the Lakers versus potentially a starter role and heavier minutes with Miami. So I, I think it really just comes down to how that all plays out. Where does Nurkic end up? The, you know, is there another big that comes to Miami in the trade? Like there's just a lot of different ways that this can all shake out. Yeah, I definitely read that whole too big thing. Jackson Hayes playing alongside AD as more of a, a message to Christian Wood that that hey, you know, we're gonna we're gonna play multiple bigs on the floor, so there's gonna be opportunities here, as well as AD that hey, we we hear you, we hear you about yeah. not wanting to play center. Go ahead and sign that contract extension. We're we're gonna find ways to not have you play center the whole time out there. But uh more than that actually being feasible on the floor anyway. I think that was more of a, a message they were trying to put out. I, I think that's fair. 
Um, yeah. And yeah, I think that's fair. All right. Well, Yovan, we have, have gone into overtime here. Thank you so much for, for giving us this much much time today. Truly appreciate it. This has been uh, been fantastic. And uh, now hopefully you get to rest and recover a little bit now that you're, you're finally done with, with Vegas for a bit. A little bit. D- done with Vegas until uh, the preseason. Preseason, yep. <laughs> the, the midseason tournament. So, uh, uh, yeah, I'm going to ra- rack up my, my Vegas. That's right. October 9th. Liz, uh, the Vegas preseason game. I got the date circled on my calendar. That so you'll get a little bit of a break from from Las Vegas anyway. But thank you, man, so much for for coming on here. Really appreciate it. Appreciate you. All right, guys, make sure you go check out Yovan's work over at the Athletic. Thank you, guys, of course, for joining us. Subscribe to the Lakers Nation YouTube channel as well as the podcast feed over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Till next time, see ya, and stay safe. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done.